Good to see you this morning. We welcome those who are joining us by way of live stream as we continue the worship in the Gerald campus as well. You know, listen to that last song, You Can Have All the World, Give Me Jesus. I think Job could have sang that song. I mean, Job obviously got stripped away from everything and, and God was enough in his life. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Job, the first chapter, and uh, we'll have the scripture up on the screen. But again, it's always good to parallel, to follow along in your Bible as well. So love to have you do that. And so again, just to kind of review some things from last week, Job is perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. And so many believe it was actually the first one that was written down, even though it's put somewhere in the middle of our Bible. Uh, many believe it was actually the first one written down. And again, Job lived in the time of the patriarchs, most believe, the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he lived many years ago. And so a couple unique things about the book of Job. There are more scientific facts in Job than any other book of the Bible. Also, it reveals more facts about creation than even Genesis. And so Job really is a fantastic book to study. There's just so much in the book of Job. But as we mentioned last week, I had you guys holler out, what do you think of when you think of the book of Job? Many of you hollered out, suffering, patience. And so those are the things that we remember about the book of Job. And there are some incredible lessons about that as we go through. The book of Job is loaded with questions. About 330 questions in the book of Job, which is a lot of questions. So it is hard to imagine all the questions that are in the book of Job. Probably we can summarize many of the questions, why? How many of you have ever asked God, why? I mean, I think we all have asked God why, and I know people have told me again that's a, a sign of a lack of faith. But even Jesus on the cross asked why. I think it's okay to ask why as long as we don't become bitter to God. Why me? Why suffering? Why my family? Why now? And so there are a lot of why questions, which again, I'm so thankful we can go back to the book of Job, and there's so many amazing lessons of how to endure and how to go through the hardships of this life. And the book of Job challenges us with this question, is God enough? If everything were stripped away from our life, would we still worship God? Would God alone be enough in our life? And so it is a question that, again, challenges us in the book of Job. Now, last week I made reference to James 5.11, and I got something out of my message last week. How many of you think it's good when the preacher gets something out of the message? But I thought about this, and to be honest with you, as I was even saying it in the sermon last week, I thought to myself, I've never thought of the book of Job like this. So James 5.11, James refers to Job, and let's read together James 5.11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. For you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. i got to be honest with you. As I was saying that last week, I thought to myself, I have never, ever thought of the book of Job as revealing the compassion and mercy of God. I almost see it as something else of not understanding 
why God allows us to suffer. But, you know, this, I began to think about it this week. And this week I had the privilege of doing the funeral service for the young man, 29 years old, who left behind three children. His wife is pregnant with their fourth child. But I thought about that, and as I got up, even before I got up to share the funeral message, I thought to myself, God, I want them to experience your compassion and your mercy as they go through this. I can't explain why. I don't understand why. But God, help this, help this young mother, help these children and the family experience your compassion and your mercy. And I got to tell you, I mean, just kind of thinking back, I don't know if I've ever felt the power of God any more than I did doing that funeral service. Again, even though it was tremendously difficult, there was a lot of why questions, but I can stand and say God is faithful and that God loves us even when we're going through difficult times. So I want you to think about the book of Job in terms as we're going through it. Wow, this book reveals the compassion and mercy of God. Because sometimes in suffering, we don't always feel that side of God. Uh, I just want to throw out this verse, too, and I know it's at the end of the book. How many of you ever did a book report and read the beginning, the middle, and the end? You guys are really spiritual. But I, at, at this, to my shame, I would read sometimes the beginning, the middle. I'd read the end, and I would make up a book report. Somehow I got on the honor roll at school. I don't know how. But anyway... It was, it was a, just a miracle. I'm not recommending that, by the way. That's not a good example. But, you know, the end of the book, it says, Job died old and full of days. I love that. So we know that Job has a full life. And I love Joe Lashke reminded me after the first service, you know, being old and full of days doesn't necessarily mean he lived a long life, but he lived a full life. And that's good. I mean, wouldn't it be great at the end of it all if they would chisel on our tombstone they lived a full life. By the way, the Bible says that about Abraham and Isaac when they died. It says they died full of days. It says that about David, too. David lived to be 70 years old, but it said he died full of days. I have a plaque on my wall that says life isn't measured by how many breaths we take, but by how many moments take our breath away. And so really, life isn't about a number of years but it's about living every day and to live it and experience the fullness of God as we go through life. And so anyway, just to kind of remember as we're going through the book of Job, he's going to experience a full, full life as he walks with God. And so again, when I think about the book of Job, I think about an onion. I'm not sure why, but an onion, you kind of peel back the layers of the onion. And one of the things we're going to find as we go through the book of Job, God begins to peel back some of the layers of his life in order to get down to the real meaning of the book of Job. And as I mentioned last week, there are a lot of great lessons about suffering, about patience, no doubt about it. But if that were all the book of Job were about, it could have ended in chapter 2 because he lost his possessions he lost his family he lost his own health he still stayed faithful to God the book of Job could have ended after chapter 2 but there are 42 chapters and so there are other layers that God peels back and the real central issue of Job in my opinion is not about suffering not about patience even though there are incredible lessons about that but we're going to find that as God peels back these layers he gets to something in Job's life that had been there all along 
but he just wasn't aware of it. And so we'll get to that as we go through the book of Job. So last week we looked at kind of the introduction to Job. The Bible calls him blameless and upright. He had seven sons and three daughters. The Bible says he was rich in livestock, and that's how they measured wealth back in the patriarchal days. His role as a priest, he would offer up sacrifices for his family. And so the first five verses give us a beautiful introduction to the man Job. And then verses 6 through 12, the Bible Bible shifts from being on earth and talking about Job to a scene in heaven. And it just reminds us that every day Satan appears before God, and the Bible tells us in Revelation, day and night, day and night, day and night, he appears before God and he accuses the brethren. Every day he stands before God and he tries to sling mud on us against God. But finally, one day in Revelation 12, he's going to be booted out of heaven for good. And the Bible says all of heaven rejoices. I mean, how many of you think that would get pretty old day and night, day and night, day and night? But one day he's going to be booted out. But as he appeared before God, if you remember, and again, the book of Job, what a beautiful picture of not only what's going on here on earth, but at the same time, what's going on in heaven. I want you to know probably when you got up today, maybe Satan and God were talking about you on your way to church. Hey, have you considered my servant? Have you considered them? Have you considered her? And so every day there's a conversation going on in heaven at the same time we're living earth. And it was God who brought up to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? It was God that brought him up. And Satan was very aware of Job, by the way. And again, I want to remind you, Satan is not God. Satan is not everywhere at the same time. He's not all-knowing, but he is aware of your situation. And so the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. And Satan says, well, of course he loves you because you put a hedge around him and you've been protecting him. Let me just remind you that if it were not for the hedge or the grace of God, we would all be wiped out today. I mean, Satan absolutely hates us. And Satan is going to do everything God allows him to do. But everything God allows him to do is ultimately for our good and for his glory. And that's what the book of Job reminds us. That God is what? He's compassionate and he's very merciful. All right? So today we're going to look at some of the layer, a couple of the layers that, that, that God allows to be peeled back in Job's life. First of all, we're going to look at possessions. If God were to strip away everything in our life, would God be enough? Would we still love God? Would we still be here at 930 worshiping God if we literally lost all of our possessions? All right. So we're going to read our text, and you're welcome to read along if you like the, the, light, the white print there. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. 
And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans farmed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine, man, just rapid fire in a moment in the blink of an eye, he went from being incredibly wealthy to literally being very poor. Now, again, in the book of Job, we find God allowing this to be peeled back in his life. Now, you remember, God said to Satan, you can take everything, you can touch him in every way, just do not touch his person. And by the way, there was only two people that Satan was not allowed to touch. Now, it said you cannot touch his person, but have you ever thought the other person that was not touched was his wife? Because God recognizes a husband and wife being one. And so his wife was also not touched as well. But literally everything he had was stripped away in a blink of an eye. And so the worldly possessions, everything was taken away, but Job still knew that God was enough in his life. So the first layer that God peels back in our life, and I just want to ask you, is God enough? Is God more important to you than all the material things? There's nothing wrong with material things, but just to understand everything we have is temporary. We're not going to get to take any of it with us. And so at some point, all the way through the Bible, one of the questions that's asked to every follower of Jesus, is God more important than stuff? Now again, there's nothing evil with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But there may come a day that God will peel back some stuff and we have to ask ourselves, is God enough in our life? So worldly possessions. The second layer that God is going to deal with is his family. Now I think we would all agree. I want to tell you, I cannot even imagine. I cannot wrap my mind around losing a child or a grandchild. There's something about that that is so difficult, yet we've lost a three-year-old niece that had a brain tumor. We had a, my sister had a 19-year-old grandson who was drowned. And standing over that and doing those funeral services, there's something about that. I always think of the book of Job because I, there's so many why questions I have, but yet in all the why questions I have, I know God is faithful. I know God is compassionate, God is merciful, and so now he's going to touch his family. So again, God said you can touch everything except him, and Satan touches everything. Can I just remind you that Satan hates your guts, and if it were not for the grace of God, we would all be completely wiped out today. He absolutely cannot stand us. And so God says to Satan, you can touch all that he has, and he touches everything, absolutely everything. That's how much Satan hates us in life, literally to strip everything away from our life. So now he touches his family. Let's go on. While he was still speaking, while he just heard the loss of all of his stuff, he says, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a great windstorm came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell on the young people and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. I cannot even imagine. I cannot even imagine not only losing all of his stuff, which most of us would say is not all that important in the scheme of things, but to lose your children. And not just one child, but to lose all ten children in a blink 
Does God mean more to Job than his stuff and to his family? And probably the line of Job that really stays out in my mind and the, and the passage I quote whenever I do a funeral for somebody incredibly young, I always quote from Job chapter 1, these next couple verses. So obviously, God was more important than his stuff. God was more important than his family. And when Job heard that, the Bible says he arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground in worship. And I always think about when I'm doing the, the funeral for someone young that it really can be a time of worship. It seems impossible that you could worship God at the death of a child, the death of an infant, the death of someone that you love. How is it possible to worship God? Because Job understood that God was more important than his stuff and that even his own family. And again, taking us to a level that's hard to really wrap our mind around. And he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. He says, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, We came into the world with nothing. We're leaving with nothing. And I just want to remind you today of everything that we get to enjoy on life. It's all temporary. Don't get to take any of it with you. And so it's all just temporary, but of everything that God gives us to enjoy, I think we would all agree that family is absolutely the most important thing. I mean, to think about Job saying, I came into the world with nothing, I leave with nothing. He says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. And even though in the story it was Satan who killed his children, I think what Job was saying is that life comes from God. And he realized his children had gone back to be with the Lord. And even though he didn't understand that, he went on to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And even though it's so incredibly hard to think about losing someone at a young age, to think about the privilege we had to enjoy them for whatever time on earth we got to enjoy them, and to be able to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm so thankful I got to enjoy my children for whatever time. I remember being a pastor at Gerald. I was a young pastor, and there was a young couple there having a child. And they were so excited, and you know the joys of having a child. And back in that day, I had the privilege of going and sitting in the waiting room, and they were expecting the child to come, and there were some complications. But they delivered the baby, and the doctor said, the baby probably will not make it very long. And I remember sitting there in the room. They let me come in the room with some of the immediate family, and they held on to this little baby boy, just literally minutes old. And little Luke lived to be about maybe six hours. And he died in his parents' arms. One of the toughest funerals I've ever had to do. I was a young pastor. I went back to the book of Job. But as I think about that family, and I think, how do I, how do I comfort? How do I encourage the family? The mother of the, of the little baby, the mother wrote a letter from Luke to the family. She wrote it of what Luke would want to say at the funeral. And I, I, I won't be able to quote it exactly, but it says something like this. And so I read the letter that the mother that lost the child said, and the letter said something like this. She's, he's, the letter said, I've, I've come into the world. I was God's gift to you for what little time. I was only hours out of my mother's womb, but it was God's gift to you. And I just want my parents and my grandparents to know 
that I'm in the presence of Jesus and that I have, I finished, I accomplished my purpose on earth in just a matter of a few hours. And the reason you're still on earth is because God still has a plan and a purpose for you. As I read that letter, I am just thinking of the incredible courage this mom had in writing a letter from her little child who stepped into eternity after just hours being on this earth. I have a copy of that letter, and every time I do a funeral service for an infant, I read that letter. Because it comes from a mama's heart that somehow had the faith enough to know, even though she lost her baby, that her baby was in the presence of God, and her baby had accomplished everything that God had for that little baby. That was tough. But man, her faith, her encouragement just really meant so much to me. And so Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. It says in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I just want to remind you that God is gracious, that God, even though we don't understand it from this side, from the other side, it all makes sense. We only look at life for the moment. We only look life at the temporary, but God is looking at the eternal part of it because I don't understand suffering. I don't enjoy suffering. I wish I could go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. That's how I would have designed it. But I just want to remind you that it's through suffering that God allows us to become more like Jesus. It's through suffering that we experience God's compassion and God's mercy. I love this uh, from the Apostle Paul. He says in the book of Philippians, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says there's times in life that I abound. There's times in life that I seem to have a lot. Other times that I have nothing. But I've learned to be content. Why? I think he could say with Job that God is enough. If things were stripped away from our life, would God be enough? I love the picture of the little girl sleeping on the Bible. You know, children, by the way, have an incredible faith. Children have just such a simple way of not worrying and not stressing out over things in life. I love this passage in Revelation 15. And these uh, it gives us kind of a little picture of those who have come out of the tribulation. Now, my personal opinion is the church will be raptured out before the intense part of the, of the, of the tribulation. But there's going to be people saved during the tribulation. And you talk about living in a tough time on earth. I mean, the tribulation, the latter part of the tribulation is literally going to be hell on earth. Because Satan is going to be kicked out of heaven. He's literally going to make life miserable. And yet there's people who are going to choose God, who are going to be martyred and stand before God. Now, if there's anybody that would ever question why, why would they have to go through all that suffering? Why in the world would God permit that? But I want you to see them now that they're standing in heaven. They've gone through hell on earth. Now they're standing in heaven, seeing life from heaven's perspective and listen to what they say. They say this, great and marvelous are your works. Can you imagine that? God, you are so awesome. I would be up there going, why? Why me? I was a good person. Why did I have to suffer? But they've come out of the great tribulation and they say, great and marvelous are your works. Wow. Because from the other side, they can look back and see 
how through times of suffering and how through times of difficulty that God was faithful. And I want to see that on this side. They said, just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Isn't that awesome? They came out of this most difficult time, and looking from heaven's perspective, they say, God, you're amazing. Your ways are so just. You are so marvelous. And so I want you to know that while we're going through it on this side, it's so easy to question why. But from heaven's perspective, God is up to something in our life, and God is ultimately, again, providing compassion and grace. I want to give you a couple examples. D.L. Moody, a great man who shook a couple continents for the Lord. Back in 1871, the great Chicago fire destroyed Moody's home and church. Moody said he lost everything but his reputation and his Bible. Literally, he lost all of his stuff. A friend came to Moody and said, I heard you lost everything. Moody said, you heard wrong. And then he opened his Bible to Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Can I tell you, when we get to the other side, we're going to be loaded. Woo! You're going to have it all. You guys don't get excited, do you? You're hanging on, just hoping to pay the electric bill. I get it. Man, from the other side, he's preparing a place for us. I mean, we're going to have it all on the other side. What we have here is peanuts. That's why Solomon, who had everything in this life, said the day of death is better. The day of death is better because Solomon knew God had something better on the other side. But I'm just telling you, sometimes I have a pity party. Sometimes I look at everything that's going on, I begin to have a pity party. Anybody here ever have pity parties? I mean, mine are sad. Sad. It's, it's pathetic when a preacher has a, has a pity party. How many of you know that no one wants to go to your pity party? Nobody. But from the other side, as we look back, we're going to realize how amazing God was. And that's why it was, I was preaching last week about God's compassion and mercy. It was like God said to me, you need some of that yourself. I realize that I need to see my circumstances from heaven's perspective and to know that God is incredibly compassionate and merciful. Uh, right along with that, the last kind of story up here, uh, Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna, they lived during the time of D.L. Moody. They, were, they lived in Chicago and they were supporters of D.L. Moody. They had five children, but in 1870, uh, their four-year-old son, the only son they had, died of scarlet fever. And again, can't hardly imagine the loss of such an incredible young life. And it was the next year that Ch Chicago Fire cost about, they estimated, about $200 million worth of damage. And Horatio there uh, was a lawyer. He was also a very successful business person. He had quite a bit of real estate. But that Chicago fire literally took almost everything that he had worked for all of his life. And so as devastating as that was, a couple years later, uh, D.L. Moody was going to hold a crusade over in England. And Horatio put his wife and his four girls on a boat to go over there. They were going to take kind of a vacation and go over there, just get away for a little bit and just uh, spend some time and support D.L. Moody. Now, the story is given in different ways, 
But in 1873, as they were heading to England, on November 22nd, 1873, the ship that his wife and his four daughters were on went down in the ocean. And up to this point, it was the greatest disaster on the ocean. About 40 years later, the Titanic would surpass it. But on this ship, they lost 226 people on board, died. And of the 226 people that died, four of them, were these four little girls, and they were ages 11, 9, 5, and 2. One story I heard was the wife somehow, in, in the middle of all the tragedy, somehow got onto a piece of wood, and she was floating on that wood when somebody found her, but all of her girls were gone. When she finally got over to the other side, she sent a telegram back to her husband. It said six words, Saved alone, what shall I do? I can't imagine him reading that and finding out that four daughters were gone in that collision there out on the ocean. So he got on the next ship that was available, traveled to England, and as the story goes, as he was traveling over to England to comfort his wife, when they got about to the place where the other ship went down, the captain said, this is about the place where the other ship went down. It was there that as he was just meditating and just thinking about his relationship with God, that he penned the words to it is well with my soul. And so one of the old classic hymns in our hymn book, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by a man that lost all five of his children, lost almost all of his material things, and he penned that words to say, it is well with my soul. You know, if we could ever get to that point as Job, Horatio, that we could honestly say it is well with my soul to know that God truly is enough in our life. I got several, a couple stories. I'm just going to give you one in this service. But I remember when I was a young pastor, and I remember being with a, a young couple having uh, their first son. And uh, they were excited. They found out as they got later into the pregnancy, there were some issues with the baby. There was going to be some problems. And so they weren't sure what was going to happen. And I remember being down there, and we were all kind of together with the family. And, and they found out their baby boy, his name, they named him Luke. They knew there was going to be some problems. And when he came out, they knew that he probably did not have long to live. And Luke lived about six hours. And then Luke stepped into the presence of God, and he was being held by his parents. And as a young pastor, again, there's no way that you can explain why. There's no way that you could ever be smart enough to try to explain God. But I remember the, the mom at the, at the cemetery when we were putting this uh, little Luke and committing his body to the grave. His mom had written a letter from Luke's perspective to, to read at the funeral. And so I, I remember reading that letter. I still have it to this day. I still read it to this day whenever a young child uh, steps into eternity. But this mother wrote the letter as though Luke were writing it to us that day. And so she wrote the letter, and it said something like this. I've got the letter. But she, the letter said something about, as, as Luke was writing to us, I just want you all to know, I want my grandparents and my parents to know that I love you and that, yes, I am in the presence of God. And it was my time to spend out of the womb that you got to enjoy me for about six hours. And as, she wrote, and as she wrote this letter, and as I read this letter, I think only from the mom, a heart of a mom who loves God, could she ever write this. 
But the little letter just tried to encourage everybody that I'm with Jesus. One day you too will come, and yes, I will be waiting for you. And the letter said, I want you to be proud of me that I finished my purpose on earth in just six hours. You should be proud of that. But God still has a plan and a purpose for you, and that's why you're still here. And so finish God's plan and God's purpose for your life. And as I read that letter, I just thought to myself, what, what courage, what faith this mother has to see her son's brief life on this earth as a gift from God, and yet he stepped into eternity. I have no doubt that when parents and grandparents stepped over on the other side, that this little Luke was waiting for him. And so as we think about it as well with my soul, I just want you to listen to the words of this song. I want you to think about in your life, and as I look around, can I just say it looks like you guys are just living in, on the mountaintop. Man, you guys came into church today smiling, happy. How's it going? Man, it's going great. I just want to remind you that life is difficult. Again, Job said man's days are short and full of trouble. Life is not easy, but God wants us to experience his sufficiency in the middle of everything we go through. And I pray that as you listen to the words of this song, that you can honestly say, it is well with my soul. And no matter what life brings, I want God to be enough in my life. And I know on the other side, when we get over on the other side, we're all going to be high-fiving, looking back, going, God was so faithful. I cannot believe how incredibly compassionate and merciful God was. And I didn't, I didn't always experience it, but looking back, we're going to understand God was so good. Listen to the words of this song, and hopefully you can identify with it in your life.
hopefully this morning in your journey, it really is well with your soul. And I think the book of Job, even though in many ways it's very hard to read, it's, it's very difficult uh, just to study and look at, but again, to see it from God's perspective, that God is showing his compassion, his mercy, because I think we do need to be encouraged as we're going through difficult times. And that's why the book of Job, I think we all connect to it in a real deep way. I want to close with this story. I've shared it many, many years ago, but it goes back again to my very early days in ministry and from the Gerald campus, Jim and Mary Stoker. And uh, Jim and Mary were just amazing. Jim was the worship pastor there, just so great to work with. And they had three boys and they were wanting a girl so bad. And I remember they, they found out she was pregnant again. They found out they were going to have a girl. And I had the privilege of being in the, the waiting room as they were waiting for Tiffany to be born. And that was back in the days they didn't let the dads go in. They had to sit out in the waiting room. And so I was out there with Jim and remember getting word that young Tiffany was born. And I mean, you just no way can you describe the joy, the excitement of having this little girl in their life. And about two years later or so, they discovered that Tiffany had a heart problem. I don't remember if her heart was backwards. There was something going on that wasn't right, and they were going to have to do a surgery on young Tim Tiffany. And so, again, I was in the waiting room with Jim and Mary at this time, and they were waiting for young Tiffany, the doctor, to come out. And when he came out, I can still remember the doctor sitting down, and you realize when he's coming out, it's not going to be good news. And so the doctor sat down, and he said to Jim and Mary, your daughter didn't make it. We lost her in surgery. And I want to tell you, there was, I mean, I, I, I just sat there. I was nothing I could say. I didn't try to explain anything. I just sat with Jim and Mary. And I remember at the funeral service and over the casket of that little baby, I mean, just to try to pour out words and try to encourage in some way. And I remember at the cemetery, after we committed her body to the grave, I remember Mary coming up to me, and Mary said to me, Boy, that just makes me want to live for God so much more. And I didn't understand. I said, I got it with you, Mary. I, I don't understand. How in the world could you be motivated to live for God when you've just lost your daughter? And she said, I want to so live for God that when I die, that Tiffany says to me, Mom, you did good. I'm so proud of you. She says, I want to live for God so that Tiffany will be proud. I share her words many times at the death of an infant that a mother could honestly be motivated to live for God at the loss of a young life. Several years ago, I heard that Mary Stoker stepped into eternity. And you know, the first thing I thought about was her being reunited to Tiffany. Now, I, I think she probably spent a long time at the feet of Jesus. But I have to believe that seeing her daughter, and I believe Tiffany saying to her mom, you did well. I'm proud of you. I'm so thankful that Jim and Mary Stoker continued to serve God, continued to love God, even through that difficult time that God was enough in their life. And hopefully we can walk out of here today and regardless of what life brings, that we truly know that God is enough, that he is sufficient in our life. I want to pray for you. Bob's going to come up with a couple uh, closing things here. But let me just pray. Can we just take a minute and lift each other up? You know, and looking around, I can't see those who are watching us by way of stream, but you guys here seem to have it all together. I mean, all oh, you're smiling today, you're, you know, carrying your Bibles, and you just seem like you have it all together. 
But I know that we all go through difficulty. We all go through heartache. I hope that we can truly find God's compassion, God's mercy, and see life. I know when we get to the other side, we'll look back and go, oh, that makes so much sense now. God was so faithful all those years. I just didn't always see it from his perspective. Let me pray for you, and let's pray for each other. I just want you to just take a moment, and maybe you're here today, and maybe for the first time in your life, maybe today you just feel that God knocking on the door of your heart, and maybe right where you are, just to take a moment and acknowledge that Jesus died for you, and I believe the Bible teaches that if we ask him to forgive us and to come into our life, that he will honor that. I can't imagine a more important decision or a better time than today to really give your life fresh and new to God. And maybe you're here this morning as a believer, you're going through some storms and some valleys, and you've been asking some why questions, and I think that's okay. But to really just somehow know in your heart and in your spirit, that in the middle of your situation, that God is compassionate, that God is merciful, would you just ask God to allow you to sense that and to experience that in the middle of your storm? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here today. I just thank you, Lord, the fact that they're here. I know that they're still, Lord, moving forward in the relationship. Life is not easy. Life is difficult. I thank you for all the experiences of life that we can experience you in the middle of the storms and the struggles. So I thank you for the book of Job. I thank you for being transparent and real. And Lord, may we each have that faith. May we each have that devotion to you that we can truly say it is well with my soul, no matter what life brings our way. So fill us with your spirit. Just love on us a special way. I just pray a blessing upon uh, Tiffany, the young mother that lost her husband, wherever she is this morning. God, I just pray that you would just remind her how much you love her and how much you care about her. And so we just put her in your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.